ride with me in my foul life. We're back. The Foul Life Podcast. What is shaking? Hope y'all are enjoying this unbelievable series we got going on second year in a row with Wildfowl Magazine, the giant gear issue. Do you have your copy? Did it come in the mail? Did you get it on the newsstand? Or did you go to your favorite duck lodge and get one off of the coffee table? Like we've said so many times before, if you go somewhere that has something to do with duck and goose hunting, they don't have a copy of the gear issue sitting out in public eye. I probably personally would not take that place too serious. You got to have the Bible of duck hunters, goose hunters, waterfowl enthusiasts, the wildfowl giant gear issue. Today, we're covering the section of boat and motors. My co-host, Skip Knowles, editor-in-chief of Wildfowl Magazine, is back with us. Skip, what's shaking? Oh, not much, man. Thanks for having me again. I get uh, so fired up on the, after our last one when... Uh, when uh, the guys are doing calling sequences, if that doesn't get you fired up for the season, nothing will, except maybe talking about duck boats and duck motors. And today we have our guest, the founder and owner of Gator Tail Nation, Gator Tail Boats and Motors and Surface Drive Motors, Kyle Broussard. He comes from the land of Louisiana, the land of the Cajuns, the land of gumbo and etouffee and crawfish. He comes from the land where duck calling is very important down there, but even more important to me, Kyle is the food down there. Y'all know how to cook a duck. Y'all know how to cook whatever it takes. I don't know if people, there's anybody in the world that eats better than a Cajun or Louisiana. Is this fair to say Kyle Broussard? Yeah, man, we, we know how, we know how to cook a gravy down here. Uh, yeah. You know, that's our, that, that your, your day revolves around what, what you're cooking, you know, at the camp during hunting season, that's the main topic. Well, you know, what are we eating? What are we going to cook? Uh, how are we going to cook it? You know, what, what's for breakfast? What's in the blind? What's, what's what we eating for dinner? You know, it's just always something down there. I, uh, I always joke that I could not live in Louisiana or, or uh, I'd be 350 pounds for sure instead of just 280 pounds. I think some of the coolest parts of what I've got to experience, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I don't know how many hunting camps I've gone to. A lot of times in Canada where I show up, and I'm lucky enough to be sharing camp with a, a Cajun family, friends. And they're literally all about two things. Well, three things. The duck or goose hunt in the morning, and then it's straight to a cold beer at noon, and then standing around a big pot of gravy and gumbo. And they're taking the, the speckle belly legs and the can of goose legs, and they're browning them. And they're putting them down in the bottom of this gumbo pot. And they got this big paddle, and they just stir it all day. And everything is slow motion, and everything is laid back, and everything is relaxed. And it's just like the coolest vibe. And the other part that I love more than anything I think in duck and goose hunting, besides the vocalizations, because everybody knows how much I love to call, even though I am average, below average, according to most at calling ducks and geese i freaking love the boat ride i've often talked about on the foul life how is there anything cooler than working your way through timber or through a marsh in a slough the moon's still up the stars are out you can smell the motor you can smell the exhaust your dog's in there excited to set to go the decoys are up on the front of the boat the guns are hidden safely and secure in the boat there's just something about a duck hunter's boat ride that is worth a million words to me. I, I I can't get enough of it. I look, I love ATVs and UTVs and trucks and I love all of walking in, but a boat ride, it's waterfowl hunting for a reason. I love being in a boat and I just love the idea of a boat ride. Kyle Broussard, Gator Tail Nation. 
I don't know if I've seen growth and, and adrenaline and just an entire momentum behind a brand like I've seen with Gator Tail lately. Uh, congratulations on the success, Kyle. We have you on here because you're part of the gear issue. You're part of the, you're part of the Wildfowl Nation as well as the founder of the Gator Tail Nation. But talk to me real quick about COVID, raw materials, and how tough it really is to get or to even come close to meeting the demand of gator tail boats and motors right now? You know, uh, Chad, I mean, we, we are production. We are 100% at production. Uh, we produce every day. You know, we have 40 to 50 employees that show up for work every day and, and put in their time. And I've never in my career have ran it this close on waiting for supplies. You know, usually you, you can, you know, you can plan ahead and you can, but I mean, it's it's even any given day that you're gonna get a, a, a email from a vendor, you're gonna get a phone call from a vendor and saying, well, your supplies were supposed to be done on this day and now it's delayed a week, it's delayed two weeks, it's delayed three months. Um, it's a it's a it's a battle, you know, and and you're not just gonna take uh, any old parts and put them into these motors and boats, you know, you, you want quality stuff. So it's just it's a juggling act. And, uh, you know, all we can ask is that our customers will be patient with us and we can get get them the, the supply, you know, get them the motors, get them the boats, get them whatever they need uh, when, when, you know, in a timely manner. Uh, it's it's been it's been a, a whirlwind, I can tell you. I can imagine. Skip, I have some questions for Kyle that I'm very interested in for our audience to hear today. But I wanted to get your opinion, Skip, on my first statement of a boat ride. Um, I've been on many great boat rides in your home state of Colorado, Skip Knowles. But is there something about coming back to the lodge or to the boat ramp with a strap full of ducks and geese, knowing that you're going to put that boat back on the trailer and head to the cafe, go home, clean your birds, get a nap, get out there scouting again. But talk to me about your feelings behind a boat ride, Skip Knowles. It's a lot more work, you know, it's a lot more expense, it's a lot more time involved, and it's 1,000% worth it, you know, compared to going out in the field and throwing out your layouts and throwing out some decoys on, you know, ground that you can walk on. Um, if you have a day out in the field and it's cold and bitter and miserable and the birds don't work, you can kind of say you had a lousy day other than the fact that you got outside, but have you ever gone anywhere in a boat when it wasn't such a big part of the journey, a big part of the experience that you go out in a boat and go duck hunting and buzz through a swamp or saltwater marsh or Texas Gulf Coast intercoastal waterway, whatever it may be, or, you know, Lake Michigan, um, you had an experience and a fine one and a memory to log for that day. Um, even if you don't see a bird or cut a feather, it's just a, the boat, the boat ride is, is a huge, huge part of that. There's a pride in ownership. I'm about to haul off to Arkansas to get a 16-foot extra-wide John boat that is, uh, gosh, my father bought it in 1984. It's on its second Mercury outboard. And we've done more in that boat, which is completely nothing like the state-of-the-art stuff that Kyle is selling. It's an old riveted John boat. It's extra-wide, but we get we slam on the brakes. We get green stuff over the transom. But it's been full of huge dead king salmon. It's been full of ducks from Florida to uh, the Seattle area. And, and crabs and just so many memories in a boat, you know, that you just, you don't get them any other way. Kyle's, I would say that there's the motors that Gator Tail builds. I mean, amazing. I've, I've driven a lot of them. 
there's a lot of good ones on the market. Let's not, I'm not going to say that there's not a lot of good boat motors out there, but the, the, the operation behind a gator tail to me, skip the, the liquidity of it, how smooth it is, how easy it is to master. And this is what I love about it is the confidence. It gives me the safety aspect of it and the ease of use of it, which is huge navigating a lot of the waters that we navigate, especially when you start adding in stumps and trees and ice and live humans in there and dogs in there. And you're trying to navigate a lot of the times in the dark. You have to be safe. You have to be secure. You have to be confident. I love what Kyle and his team design and build the new Predator Series boats. Let's talk about the motor for a minute, though, please. Kyle Broussard from Gator Tail Nation. If you don't mind, a lot of our listeners tune in because of instruction. They want to learn. I want to learn. I've also I've often told people on the Foul Life TV show, Kyle, that I pride myself in what I've learned on a duck boat. Because when I first started, I was like, man, look at these guys drive these boats and how good they are at it. Look how they navigate. Look at them go over that beaver dam. Look at the things they can do. And I always wanted to become better and profic- more proficient at it. And I feel that I have, but I know for a fact that I'm not there yet. So if you had to tell somebody starting <laughs> out with a gator tail motor, Surface drive, explain what that means, Kyle Broussard. And what are some of the first things that we need to look at? I'm talking about if we've already bought our motor, it's on our boat. What are some of the first things an instructor would say about the prop, about the level of the prop, about the depth of the prop? Obviously, you have your safety, your, your emergency rope on that will disconnect the motor if you do happen to get into an accident talk about some of the things you would tell a customer or a first-time user to get acquainted with your motor and to be safe and successful with it well you know um starting out whenever we started building these things uh you know i guess about almost 20 years ago um you know the, the, the horsepower wasn't nearly what we have now so today today we built a 40 horsepower motor uh, the majority of our boats will leave the shop running over 30 miles an hour. Okay. So, and I mean, a lot of these boats can run 30 miles an hour with a two man hunting load. And what, what the biggest thing, whenever they first came out, everybody thought that you need to try to run, you got to wide open throttle everywhere as you go. And, and then back in the day you did because you didn't have enough power to build a power through things. Uh, you know, now what I tell people is you, you get the boat, get you a GPS, and you go and run the boat deep water and you learn the boat and you figure out where the trim angle needs to be for the most comfort for the driver. And it may not necessarily be the fastest speed is going to run, but you want it to be the most com- comfortable for the driver. And like whenever you maneuvering through the trees and through the logs and everything, it doesn't always have to be wide open. You have some reverse from reserve power now with a 40 horsepower engine that you know, you, you can, you, you don't have to run full blast through it. You, you got some reserve power. You can hit the gas when you need it. You've got to jump over something. You give it a little bit more, more gas, you know, to bounce off and, and do those kind of things. Um, it's just a matter of getting to know your boat, getting to know your vessel, learning how to drive it. Uh, it it's, it's kind of what it's about. How important, Kyle Broussard, oh, sorry. How, how important, Kyle Broussard, we always talk about your dog's got to be trained you practice your duck call you go out to the sporting clays range you dust off your decoys you repaint your decoys you know what i'm saying like you go to your duck lodge you make sure that everything's in order how important is off-season practice for 
not just a newbie, but somebody of your experience, do you still learn something new every time you're in your vessel and about your motor? Is there any such thing as mastering it? Have you mastered it? But is off-season practice so important, like you're mentioning in your last statement? Well, Chad, in in our off-season, and to answer your question, yes, I still run these things. I've been running them for 20 years, and I still learn things every time I get in uh, what our off-season practice involves is running down completely veget- uh, vegetation. The vegetation have com- has completely taken over some of our duck leases. So in other words, everything dies off in the wintertime. Here comes summertime and these, uh, you know, evasive, evasive uh, water lilies or, or, or cattails or all, all of the existing ditches and canals are completely overgrown. So we, we go in there and we got to get in there with those motors and, bust the trails back open and, and and let us eat our way through it, which is different than the majority of the guys that are buying these things during hunting season. Cause most of the time hunting season, a lot of these evasive, uh, you know, all of these, this vegetation is, is, is broken down or, 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 or drifted away or what have you come to winter. Uh, what is important during the summertime is that, you know, garage a vessel, uh, make sure that, you know, all of these motors is just like anything else. If you park it, if you park it at the end of, of January, early February, and you don't start it until September, you're going to have fuel issues, you know, and, and that's not what you want to do. You don't want to leave them sitting up. You don't want to not run them. Um, a big mistake that a lot of people will do, especially on the old carbureted motors is they'll crank them up and think that everything's fine, but the engine's only really running on one cylinder. And they put it in the water for the first time and it doesn't want to go anywhere. Well, that's because it had a, a, a you know, a clogged up carburetor. Same thing can happen with fuel pumps and, and with the EFI system. So it's very important to make sure, you know, your fuel systems are, sh- are, are flushed or get it out on the water every once in a while. Just get it back a feel for it. Skip, um, when, Skip, when you start thinking about off season and the readers of the gear issue are going through and taking what you guys are reading and they're taking that as gospel. They're going and applying that to their purchases and their mentality of off season prep and getting ready for the season. I understand that all hunters spring training, baseball, there's always off season prep football players report early. Everybody has that period to where they have to be prepared for the season. I just think that the mentality is always the things that I mentioned before when some of the most important things are becoming proficient in a boat ride when you think of everything that goes down during the boat ride. You know what I'm saying, Skip? From the safety aspect to it to getting your hunters and family and friends out there safe and return to the dock safe. What do you think of the mentality of the off-season, Skip, and getting people to maybe change their habits and not so much always about the, you know, the normal stuff like a duck call and their dog training and stuff, but actually getting out and training themselves in a duck hunting scenario, a duck hunting boat ride scenario with one of these surface drive style motors? You know, it's funny that um, we are so keyed up on, I got just so fired up, you know, we were talking about just calling. Uh, and we do tend to focus on that and dog training because your dog has to be steady come September 100%. But um, these are not normal boats. Okay, my brother-in-law has a, a big wakeboard, super surfy, you know, expensive boat. He puts, I think, 4,000 pounds of water in the transom, turns the key, the bilge pump works. We go out and have fun on the lake, maybe do a little fishing puts it back on the trailer, he's done. Duck boats aren't like that. You know, me and Mike Miller just worked on one for two years here in town. 
it was an old, they call it a bridge boat. It was this at least eight feet wide, super shallow draft, like a super John boat, but built for war. They actually, well, the military used them to put boards across them and actually cross ditches and stuff. That's why they were called a bridge boat. But we worked on that thing for years. And Mike um, did made so many little touches that you just have to attack in the off season. You're not doing it during the season. He welded spring loaded devices that would hold your gun in place because so many boat blinds and duck boat gunnels are so slick and dangerous. It's just a dangerous place to lean a shotgun, you know? You have to build a security system. We rigged up a, an electronic thing to make the, the mojo and all the decoys dance. You know, that's not a normal boat deal. Your bilge pump better work and it better have a backup, you know? And uh, of course, depth finder navigation, all that stuff, it doesn't come to you on a, you know October 15th or October 31st all that stuff coming together, knowing how to use it, it all has to be tweaked and tuned and everything else. You better make sure your gas tanks have, you know, the, they're, they're not going to have a bunch of condensation. There's just so much to a duck boat um, that has to be handled in the off season. Um, and even still stuff's going to happen, man. Mike called his kids over to Kansas last year and he was so excited and had worked on that boat for so long. He got there and the steering cables were completely locked and he didn't have any hot coffee and they went and he disconnected them, welded a tiller handle <laughs> onto the motor just so he, he took a, one look at the at his boy's face and uh, how his face felt because they weren't going to go out in the boat and it was below freezing and, and they improvised and overcame. So, I mean, that's just duck hunting and duck boats. They're not, they're not normal boats. You got you to gotta work on them all year. Kyle, when you start thinking about the operation part of it now, what would you tell me? what I look for in that prop, where is it supposed to be? Does it halfway in the water and halfway out? Is it all the way submerged, but just right below the surface level of the water? Where am I going to get the maximum performance out of the, uh, your gator tail boats motors with consideration of where the prop goes? Again, Chad, it's, it's a lot. Uh, every, every boat is different. Every boat, every load is different. Every, you know, uh, every driver. That's why it's very, very important to get to know your boat and know and, and know where it performs the best. And after you run it long enough, you're going to be able to feel it in your tiller handle. You're going to feel it in the, the, the sound of the engine. You know whether the engine is being over-revved. You know whether it's trimmed up too high. You know, you know, but to answer your question, most of the time, what you shoot for is you want the rooster tail to be about level with the top of the motor, if not a little bit lower. So if you see these these guys coming around throwing water everywhere, that's not right. That's trimmed up too high, and you're just basically wasting your propulsion. Uh, and again, again, every boat is different. That particular boat, that particular prop, the guys running on it may need to to operate that way. A good rule of thumb is you know the prop way, the prop halfway submerged to three quarter of submerged uh, rooster tail. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, my, my, one of my boats I was running this weekend, it's a big dual rig that we do a lot of fishing out of. And I mean, those we're running those props almost <laughs> submerged at the boat running, you know, 35 miles an hour. Uh, so, I mean, it just, it, it just depends. So if rule of thumb though, most of the time you're gonna be able to have a little bit, maybe a quarter of the prop to half of the prop out of the water with that rooster tail about maximum height of right with the top of the motor casing correct now that being said if i know i'm running down a slough and it's got tons of of of, of, of trees across i'm probably going to run my prop a little bit higher out of the water than i normally will that way you're not getting hard impacts and you're just bouncing over the top of them and, and you're going along your way you know 
So, I mean, you know, river, deep water, river running is definitely different than if you're going to be shallow water stump running. And you just do that. So in the day uh, and age of where we're at with motor design, Kyle Broussard, Gator Tail Nation, do you, is there an application for a long shaft duck boat motor anymore with the advancement technology and innovation in the surface drive models that are being manufactured? Uh, Jad, I'm sure, I'm sure there's always going to be a place for them. I, I know where I personally, where I personally use mine, I, I have no use for them. I mean, it doesn't, I don't need them. You know, everything that I can do with, with mine, uh, you know, everywhere is where I hunt and fish and, and, and use mine, uh, surface drive does everything it needs to do. Um, and I mean, I think that there's probably some applications where, you know, financially, the long tail is, is, a, is a good option. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's it, we all had them. We all used them. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not nearly as comfortable and efficient as what the surface drives are. Give me an idea, Kyle, of a memory that you have created for you and your group that you probably could not have created or witnessed or experienced without this style of boat and motor because these things get us into places that are absolutely unheard of give me one off the top of your head that i don't care if it was craw fishing or night fishing or bow fishing or carp fishing or duck hunting is there one that comes to mind well you know uh I, i'm gonna tell you this so i have uh i have two boys you know they now they're 14 and 11 you know 14 year old is six foot tall, you know, 175 pounds. I mean, he's a big old 14 year old, 11 year old, you know, he's, uh, he's probably five foot tall, you know, strong. And, and the thing about with, with these kids is that that's how, you know, it goes back to Skip, what Skip was talking about with the duck boats, you know, the way we, my, my hunting these days is centered around those two boys. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of family hunts together my dad and my two boys. And it's gotten to where the boats are designed around having those kids hunting in those boats. Um, because, of course, you know, we, we do everything. We hunt out of boat blinds, uh, you know, hunt out of the boat blind. We hunt out of boats a lot um, to where are we getting rod the boat to a stationary blind, get out the boat, get in the blind, go park the, go park the boat in a hide, take a P-road back. Um, so my hunting season, and I'm, I'm – I, I'm always running prototype stuff during hunting season. It may be a different hull design. It may be a different storage in the hull. It may be a different motor design. It may just something. And, and that's what it is. You know, we always are, are testing and always making it better. And these boats have become uh, kind of like an RV. You know, you know how you have your RV camper and the people, the reason why people like hunt, going in their RV is because you know where everything is. You go on a vacation in your RV, you know where, where everything is in there, everything you may need. And it's the same thing about hunting out of your duck boat. Uh, you know, with, with the storage we have in them now and the way the hall is designed or you are you blind, like you, you're going to keep an extra two boxes of shells just in case your kid forgets to put something in his box that morning. You know, you have these cubby holes for that. You're going to have your, your, your de-icer. You're going to have whatever you need you have that in your duck boat and it's kind of like your RV. So it's a, it's, it is nice. Everything, you know, layouts and everything that's fun. And that's, that's, but this, this, this boat becomes like a, like you're taking your RV hunting and you may have your stove in there so you can cook breakfast. You may have, 
So it's always it's 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 always that that the boats are centered around the boats and and the experience. Uh, you know, these kids that we take hunting have a lot to do with that. Is there places in Louisiana that you can hunt ducks without a boat, or is it all? boat driven down in that part of the country and i'm talking mainly where you're from in southern louisiana more cajun country northern louisiana i i, I would assume that you could do some atv stuff but is it mainly no, by boat yeah no but there's there's you know there is some rice field uh, hunting uh done done down here you know first in fact the first duck hunt i ever went on was in a uh, a crawfish pond uh you know five miles from where we live and and that was what a, a buddy of mine he took me and uh, it was a crawfish pond. You walk in, park your truck, and walk through there. Crawfish pond is 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 a is a rice field. You know they grow rice and they grow rice, and then they they flood it and put out the crawfish cages, and you catch crawfish in the rice field. So that's the kind of ATV hunting that's here. Uh, but majority majority all public duck hunting in Louisiana is probably I would say probably ninety percent uh, boat related. Um, and, and, you know, all of the, the leases that, that we hunt and the private lands that we hunt is all boat. You got to get there by boat. Kyle, you hear a lot of people say that I won't go duck hunting if I can't bring my dog with me. You've said that now it centers around your two boys, but personally, Kyle Broussard of Gator Tail Nation, would you duck hunt if you couldn't bring your boat with you? Well, I'm just like everybody, every other duck hunter, man. I like to kill them. So, <laughs> so you're going where they're at. It, it, it's uh no. And, and to answer your question, to answer your question, I've been approached on a lot of opportunities to get into duck leases in different areas. And I'm like, dude, if it's not in a boat, I'm not doing it. Now, that being said, I've killed them in the timber where it may not have been out of one of our boats. It was a private hole in a little 9.9. And I liked it just as much. I got to be honest, you know, it's, 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 I, I, that's the, that's what's great about the world of duck hunting. There's a lot of diversity. You learn a lot of things. You get to meet a lot of different people. Uh, but for me, if it's, if I'm not riding in a boat in the morning, I, 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 it's just something about it, you know? Skip, how do you feel about that statement? Oh, I just, uh, it raises a lot of questions for me because yeah, I've never not owned a boat in my entire life. And, uh, I was curious about uh, out, out west here. We have a lot of rocky terrain on a lot of rocky reservoirs, as you know, Chad. And I was wondering, what are the limitations on surface drives? Can you talk to people about, you know, that everyone wants to be able to run over everything. You see the commercials watching them blast over beaver dams and, you know, keep going when they run out of water. And everyone wants that. There's no downside to that, right? I mean, everyone wants that Mad Max experience to be able to ultimate four-wheel drive. But what are the limitations as far as, like, you know, for a guy like me out here in the West and the Rocky Mountains, and I want to, there's some muddy, marshy areas that I can access and hunt. Um, are these boats functional on a reservoir to go bass fishing? Uh, me and Jared Serenia beat the fish up pretty darn good from one of your gator tails about four years ago after duck hunting, and it was so fun watching the alligators chasing the, the bobber. Once it hit like 70 degrees, they snapped, they completely changed. It was, we did a lot of fishing out of that boat, though. What are, what are some of the limitations for, and things for people to consider? How versatile are these are these boats um, beyond just uh, playing Mad Max and going duck hunting? Well, for for number one, just like you said about people want to take these things and go run over everything they can. Is you know the, the 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 this this machine was invented. This machine was designed to be able to get in places that you needed to go in in low water situation. You know, in other words, when the tide ran out or the north winds blew. 
And, and I mean, it, it was designed, I designed it as we were still hunting, you know, the same, the same duck leash that I probably that I'm on today is this is where I was hunting 25 years ago whenever I designed this thing. Wow. North winds would start blowing and all the water would go out and you just basically couldn't run out. You couldn't do it. It was, it was too shallow. The water pumps would start, would get clogged. Alarms would go off and you couldn't do it. And that's what this thing was designed for. And it's designed for in the summertime to get through the aquatics. What it's not designed for is to go tear up stuff that doesn't need to be torn up. You know, and that, that's what people need to understand. We're not out here. It's not. It's, we, it's, we don't want to act like it's an ATV with four-inch love mud tires on it that, that the kids like to ride. Believe me, I have two kids, and they like to do it. You know, so. But there's a time and a place to do those kind of things, uh, and you just gotta be. You know, gotta be aware of your surroundings. You gotta use the tool for what it was made for, and and, and don't abuse it. Uh, now, going back to what you were saying about the rocket reservoir, these things look. We don't know what rocks are in South Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. you know? but I will tell you this, they exist everywhere else besides South Louisiana. So these things, even on the coast of Florida, I mean, they take rock licks like you never would have thought. And I, I didn't even, I didn't, I couldn't even fathom that until, you know, we go down there and we start talking to some of our customers and they're like, oh yeah, we hit these big boulders. And I'm like, where do these rocks come from? They said, we got them everywhere. That's what, so Louisiana is really the only place that doesn't have these rocks. But to answer your question, reservoirs, deep water hunting, Deep water fishing, yes, they work fine. They work just like a regular outboard motor, uh, you know. And, and of course, they don't. The limit, the limit is forty horsepower, but no running the deep water the same as the shallow one. I was shocked that all the guides down there for unlimited, unlimited outfitters. I think guide service. Yeah. Lots of vets. Yeah, Jared had me hunt with him. He was talking about how many props he goes through. I was shocked because they're. They're not cheap, the stainless steel props. And well, and, and, and again, so like I had a gentleman I talked to on the phone last week and uh, I remember where he was from, uh, but he was from out of state and he hunted some, he hunted some rivers and, and we're talking about sand. And look, the rule of thumb is if you get stuck on a sandbar, one of these things and you can get out and walk, well then get out and walk and push your boat to the deeper water until you can jump back in because now, see what we run into a lot down here is a is a it's a sandy mud. So it's the same thing as anywhere else else in Louisiana. You jump out and you sink up past your, your knees. You're not going to want to walk in there and push a boat in there. So you just trim the moat, trim the motor down, and let it eat, and you get out. But the, the downfall of that is it's it's sand. It's like it's straight sand on stainless steel. So it's going to tear up the propellers. Uh, and, and and look, since then, propellers have got better, wear resistance have got better. So I mean, it's but that that is a wear item of the machine, and 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 a lot of a lot of regions that these motors are used in, um, the propellers last a hell of a lot longer than if you were on the coast of Louisiana. You know, interesting. Do you have a national presence now, Kyle? Or people all over the country using these type of boat motors or is this mainly in the area where you live in and design these motors there's a lot of manufacturers from that part of the country the reason i'm asking is do you have a is it starting to is it starting to spread westward more and northwards more oh yeah yeah we we have them i mean pretty much every place where there's duck hunting we have we have motors so i mean it's uh you know, it, they have their they have their use pretty much. You know, across the across the country. 
What where is where is the 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 mentality of is there a an an education part of educating the customer on why they want it? Or do most people come with you with their mind made up? Like I have to have that surface drive because I know it's going to help me be a better duck hunter or fisherman, whatever. I think that, uh, you know, in the, in the early years, in the early years, we spent all of our time on the phone, convincing them, convince, trying to convince people that this was, that they needed these things. Now we spend our time on the phone, trying to help them through the buying process as to which which boat or which motor they may need. Um, so, and, and look, I'll be the first one to tell you, if I get someone on the phone that I don't think needs one of these, I'm going to tell them, I don't think this is the right motor or the right boat for you because you need, you know, you need X, Y, Z instead of, instead of this. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I think we've proven that the reliability is, is, is great on them. Um, the functionality is great. And, you know, some people, some people, they, they, they may buy them and see that they don't need them, but the majority of the ones that buy them are very, very happy with them. And, you know, again, it, you know what mother nature is, you, you know, how uh, climate has changed. You know how, like last year, we had lots of water this year. It's a drought this year. Louisiana has more water than we've had. And I, I mean, it rains here every day, multiple times a day. I mean, it's completely flooded. So it's 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 just you never know what what each season's gonna bring. You never know what each year is gonna bring. But um, that that you know, there, there's always a need for them. Where what is the state of duck hunting in Louisiana right now? Has it been okay? Are you happy with it, or are you gonna say nothing like it was 20, 25 years ago when you designed your first boat motor? Is anything changing for the better? It's uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, Chad. Is you know you, I'll tell you we had years, you know, like you said, twenty twenty five years ago, we had years back then that wasn't good as ten years ago. Uh, you know, the last five to seven years has been a struggle, but we've had some great hunts, you know, and and we've had great hunts. We've had we've had bad hunts, and it's just all about the experience. It's not so much about, you know, it, it, you don't get, you don't go out and shoot a limit of ducks every day. Like you did in certain years in the, in the, in the two thousands, you know, um, but you, you, your, your good hunts are that much more memorable. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't get, you know, I guess, I guess the disappointing thing is these kids growing up don't get to see what we saw you know, in the same, sitting in that same duck blind and sitting in that same pond, what we saw 15 years ago or 10 years ago, they're not seeing this today. Uh, and for me, it's not a matter of going out there and having to shoot a limit. Uh, we just want these kids to to be interested in the sport and try to keep the sport going. And, and, and you know, you asked about, about how was a duck hunt without, you know, not being in a boat. Well, you know, I've been to Canada, I've done Canada, and of course, there's nothing like it. And, you know, that's something that I think every duck hunter should be able to experience uh, or some something of that nature, because it's hard for a kid from South Louisiana to, to, to understand how you can go set up in a dry field and shoot a limit of, of greenage. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, that you're not seeing those numbers like we saw. We don't see those numbers in Louisiana anymore. Um, so I don't know. It, it's a the state of duck hunting in Louisiana. You know, 
I think that all of us diehard hunters are gonna go no matter what. We're gonna we're gonna get all giddy about it and get excited about it, just like just like I was when I was ten years old. It's, that's how my days, you know. That's how my season starts. Uh, is 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 everybody doing that? I don't know. Um, you know, I know all of my friends at duck hunt are still duck hunting. Um, they're still looking forward to that opening day, and they're still looking forward to having a great season. And uh, I think this year is going to be one of our best seasons in Louisiana that we've had in a while. Um, but just got to go with it and see what happens. We heard that from a guy in Arkansas today, too. He believes it's going to be a memorable season like 2014 was because of some of these early cold fronts coming through and different weather conditions. But you have a memorable hunt. You top it off with an unbelievable boat ride with your friends and your two boys. You get the ducks back. You're on cloud nine. I don't know if you enjoy a cold beer once in a while, Kyle Broussard at Gator Tail Nation, but I'm going to assume you do being where you're from. But you got a strap of mallards and some gadwall, maybe a widgeon, maybe a couple green wingers. What's your go-to recipe? I don't want to say this is like your last supper you ever get to cook with wildfowl, but what is the go-to Cajun recipe from Kyle Broussard for ducks, wild duck, what are you going to do to show off? Let's say we're in town, me and Skip are there, and we're like, cook us the best duck you uh, you you could possibly cook, Kyle Broussard. Look, I'm not I'm not gonna I, I'm gonna tell you a story, and it's not gonna be the best duck, but I gotta tell you this story, okay? So, at the end of the 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 2021 season, I have a good friend of mine that owns some property uh, about an hour and a half from here, and it's a it's a flooded rice field. And uh, they had some some they had some coop that moved in on his flooded rice field. So at the end of the season, he decided we're gonna have us a we're gonna have a coop shoot is what we're gonna do. And we had about I think he invited about twenty to thirty guys over there, and we brought the kids and the dogs. And the limit is I think fifteen a person on coop. And I'm gonna tell you that was one of the most memorable hunts of last season. Now I had a pretty good one in the timber in Arkansas too, but <laughs> this, this coot shoot was, was, that's one that you're never going to forget. It's a memorable season. And we went over there and we had, man, we killed a lot. And I don't remember how many, but it was a lot. And uh, of course, nobody over there limit, but so we came back and we cleaned them and I made one of the best gumbos I had ever made in my life. And it was a duck. I mean, it was a, it was a coot. And I think I had some, probably some sausage in it, probably some elk sausage in it, but coot and sausage gumbo. And it was something to remember. Coot gumbo. Okay. Well, I know this is about boats, but I have to ask one more question about food. And plus I'm, I'm starving. I'm about to eat some of this Jack links, but what, how do you start a roux? Just give us the, the, the beginner's roux. If I wanted to go do it tomorrow out here in the Western part of the country, is it his family secret or can you tell me how to do a good roux? Just start it and then I'll take it from there. Well, I know I'm going to get criticized by this, but the way you start it is you get in your truck and you drive to the grocery store and you buy one of them jars that say uh, Savoy roux or carriage roux. Or <laughs> and that's how I start my roux. Because <laughs> the last thing I want to do is go through all this and burn my roux and I got to start over. So. <laughs> And, you know, I was always one, and, and a lot of people are adamant about, well, I'm going to cook my own roux. And the buddy of mine that I hunted with, he's one of the best cooks I know. 
and he goes to the store and he buys his jar of root. So if he can do it, I can do it. So. <laughs> I always wondered uh, if Coots would make at least good jerky or something. Now we got to try gumbo. I, well, um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you this. So that day, that day when we shot those coots, I had all my buddies I hung with in Arkansas, they sent me a picture because we had got invited up there for the, for the closer. And they sent me this picture of, of, of all these mallards they killed. And of course, I got to send them a picture of the kid with all these coop. And they're like, man, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, we're cooking it. And I sent them a picture of the gumbo. And they're like, man, I cannot believe you're eating that. These things eat in the in the ditches up here. Uh, these were corn and, and, and rice-fed coop. So it's, you know, that's coop, coop gumbo down here is something that that is very well known. Uh, it's something that they people, I mean, in Louisiana, you can always go and shoot you a couple of coot. You might not ever have, you might not always have mallards or or teal or gadwall or or whatever else, but um, you can always go shoot coot. And and going back to that original question of what what the recipe, you know, we shoot mostly, primarily, we're shooting gadwall and we're shooting teal. And and just like everything else, you know, you're gonna cook them on the pit. I like them. I like just straight salt and pepper on a pit, medium, probably medium rare. And I tell you, my kids will we'll go there and we, you know, we fillet the breast off and the kids will go in and they cut out, cut out the legs and we cook them over the barbecue pit, drink some beer. And, you know, just a conversation, just, you know, as an appetizer or, or, or something like that. And it's teal are very, very hard to beat over here. Ooh, man, I could eat some teal right now. Are you going to, participate in the 2021 early till season Kyle Broussard will your boats be out in the water come September 1st I'm gonna tell you I think it's September around September 8th over here I think is what it is uh somewhere around there and I'm, I'm forgive me because I usually know it by heart but it's been a long year but anyhow uh I will definitely be in the marsh on that opening morning with mosquitoes so thick in your ears that you can't hear the teal and whenever them little green wings are gonna pass by you're going to forget about, about all the, all your worries, man. It's, that's one of the most – that is, you know, growing up as a kid, we used to hunt squirrels on October 1st. First weekend of, of October, you couldn't sleep. I mean, you never were little kids because that was the beginning of hunting season. And then as I got introduced to duck hunting later on, then that became the night bell to sleep. And there's nothing like it. You know, opening weekend of till season, we go out there. We're there every time. Also, too many alligators, so we leave the dogs home. But yeah, well, we will be hunting out of the boat opening weekend. Kyle, I heard a lot of stories about how we all graduate from different levels of this duck hunting, goose hunting culture lifestyle. It can be mental, it can be physical, it can be financial, mental. I mean, we we start off by piles make smiles, and we got to get them. We we're mad at them. We got to get a strap full every time to go into. Well, hey man, there's more to it. There's the rue. There's the standing around a pot. There's the cold beer and memories with your kids and the boat ride. Physically, you know, we graduate different ways of it. We get better at it. We become better shots, better duck callers, better dog handlers, better boat operators. Financially, we also do this where. We started with this shotgun, and I graduated to a Benelli later on. And we started with this ammo, and we graduated to this later on. What are we looking at here, Kyle Broussard? What do we have to be prepared for? How 
much money should I save up before I call you and I'm serious about buying a rig, a whole setup? I want the Predator. I want the 40 horsepower. What are we looking at? How do we buy it? Is there financing available? How do we get into one of these badass boat rigs and motors? Well, you know, what our, our business runs off of a dealer network. So we, you know, we have dealers across the country and it, which was going to happen the process of buying you're going to call me you're going to call me on day one and you're going to say i'm interested in buying this boat and i'm going to ask you i'm going to say where are you located and i'm going to try to hook you up with a stocking dealer in your area that that may have a rig in stock if they do not have a rig in stock then we're going to look at what what is their uh you know what is their what do they have coming down the pipeline what what when are they going to get built and that dealer is going to work with you and they can do they can do financing the dealer will set you up for financing um price wise we you know it's we have a a a, a, a spectrum of different prices compared the, depending on on what boat you want um that is one of the largest factors in this supply chain of 2021 is that pricing is completely all over the globe right now. You know, I mean, it is, you know, we, over the weekend, oh, this past weekend, during the weekend, I got emails from two different vendors of price increases. So, you know, it, it's something that for you to, for me to give you the exact price, I, I don't even know right now. Uh, you know, we're trying to keep pricing down, trying to work with people, renegotiating contracts and that kind of deal. Uh, and that's one thing that we, we always strive for is to make this as affordable as could be because we want, everybody to be able to afford to own one of these things. Well, kind of in that vein, you were talking about respectful use and I was talking about how people love these boats and want to get one because they want to be able to run over everything. And you were talking about how that's not the idea. It's purpose built and mission specific to get you to the spot, to do what you need to hunt, to fish, whatever, but it's not to go ripping around like it's an ATV. Our surface drives, are they under attack right now? I, I remember I heard a lot of rumors two or three years ago that kind of had me worried. I don't want to be the bear uh, focus on negative things here, but but while we're talking about that conversation of being respectful in their use, are they are they under attack still, or did that go away? Or well, Skip, I, I I believe that I believe that they they were under attack the same way as our younger generations of duck hunters are under attack, and <laughs> it is and you know one of my one of my sayings is surface buffs. Google Earth and social media all came out at the same time. Okay. And just like back in the day, if I had a private, if I had a private hole and I call it a private hole, I had a secret hole that nobody knew where it was. And I used to walk into that secret hole and I would kill ducks. And then now I have a couple of younger kids. I'm going to call them kids, but younger guys. They come in with a surface drive and now they're coming into my hunt, you know, and they, they, they infringing on where it is public land, but it used to be a private. Nobody knew about it. Then, then the surface drives are going to get a bad name because now it's accessible. I think that, you know, noise wise, they, everybody has to be conscious and, 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 you know, I know everybody likes to go fast and likes to make noise and we were all at age one time and we all enjoyed it, but, Everybody has to be conscious that whenever it's duck season, let's be as stealthy as possible and let's be as quiet as possible. And the noise is something that that we got a lot of a lot of feedback from. You know, I personally went and met with uh, the Wildlife Commission in Arkansas a few years ago. Whenever all this was buzzing around, and, and you know, I stood up there and I said, 
let me help you make these quieter. Let me let you help me to make them quieter. Let's work together. Let's make it more acceptable. And what we, you know, we came down to is that the decibel readings on a stock motor is well within any any regulations of any lakes anywhere around. And it's just a matter of if it, it goes back to um, uh, ethics, you know, and, and it, it goes back to not everybody, this, this sport of duck hunting is a great sport. It's one of the best things. I mean, I love it. You know, I mean, that's what I do for a living. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm able to teach my kids and some of my kids' friends how to duck hunt. But not everybody that gets into the duck hunting game has had anybody show them. And, and, and just because somebody is sky blasting at some passing ducks, they may not be doing it intentionally. They doing it because that's all they know. You know, they weren't taught that you got to wait till the feet are down. You, you know, I, I never forget. I mean, I was hunting. I, I, I've been hunting timber and, you know, I talked to I have a buddy that I hunt with and he's like, no, 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 no. First time we go, we want to shoot them at the treetops. You know, we're from Louisiana, man. We're going to shoot these things. He's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to shoot them until their feet are down and they're about to land. And I said, well, okay. You know, and you learn that. And it's all about is the same thing. Is is I believe that ethically, uh, just we don't. It's not. Don't get me wrong. We were all young, and you always did. You did things when you were young that you wouldn't do today. But I think it's just we weren't taught right. You know, some guys is just not taught, and the, the the surface drive got a bad name because of that. Now I think everybody's a lot more receptive to it. Uh, we're definitely trying to trying to make them quieter. Every day, you know, we're trying to get them quieter and more comfortable. Uh, so, and as long as it's not seen as just like I said, don't go try to run over something that doesn't need to be ran over. I mean, South Louisiana, this you know the, the storms that we have had in the past the past years tearing up our coast. The last thing we need is to go jump over some marsh that doesn't need to be jumped over. We, you know, we use them for what they made for and don't destroy the environment with them. Um, we don't, I don't, I don't want a person to be 80 years old and having to walk into a duck blind because I can't use my gator tail anymore because somebody saw it as a threat to the environment. You know, uh, so this is what we preach. And we, we, you know, we, 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 we've addressed a lot of those things and try to kind of like a, a, a tread easy type thing as you saw with the UTVs and ATVs many years ago. You just got to be, a, you know, smart about it. Very well said, Kyle. I actually covered that a lot. Yeah, you know, the ATVs really exploded around the turn of the century, 2000. And uh, I was an outdoor writer at a newspaper at that time and doing a bunch of other sports writing. And they they came out and they were were really abusive. I mean, I'd be a mile and a half in and some guy with a jelly donut stained T-shirt and a rifle would be riding by me somewhere he's absolutely not supposed to be. But they started getting banned and restricted to trails. Um, as a result, and then the self-policing started, the ATV communities, at least out west, I don't know if it's everywhere, but it's, this is because there's so much public land. That was Utah, um, 85% public land in that state. They started self-policing and, and you know, encouraging people to get tickets and reporting guys who were running off-road through high mountain meadows and fragile environments. And it really came around. I was shocked. I didn't think after initially covering all the destruction that was going on, that, that they were, were capable of doing that. They did. And people stick to the trails now because they don't want to get banned. So yeah, respect can be taught, um, but it comes from your own community. I think most of the time. I think it does. Correct. I, I think mean, that it's like Kyle's touching on, and we've said it so many times before in this lifestyle, 
this is a privilege. It's not a right. It's not written into our Declaration of Independence or our Constitution that we're allowed to own boats or run boats or hunt. We do have the right to bear arms through our Second Amendment, and we fight for that and we protect that. But we're not, and this is not an embedded right. This is a privilege, and it has to be taken care of, and it has to be nurtured, and it has to have the flag flown the right way with with compassion for the animal, respect for the resource, respect for other hunters, leave ego out of it. We know your boat will go fast, but so did the General Lee. Bo and Luke Duke don't need to be out in the duck marsh all the time, jumping the General Lee over a beaver to just a, sh- a beaver bam, just to show off. We know that you're that, that they can do it. It's about respecting fellow duck hunters and more importantly, respecting the habitat conservation efforts the animals that inhibit that inhibit this place and have this place it could be an insect it could be something that you might not know that you're tearing up their home by operating a boat the wrong way and we don't want to disrespect and try to ruin somebody else's duck hunt we saw what happened at real foot lake last year because of something that could go wrong in the duck blind who knows why it happened i'm still unsure of it but i know it did happen we don't need it we don't need disrespect for anything that's involved in this privilege of being an american hunter and i take it very serious because like my good friend remy warren has told me so many times on this podcast gentlemen it's going to be a hunter that gets that privilege revoked if we're not careful. And we have to do this the right way. So it was very well said, Kyle. Thank you. You know, one thing that that, that we learned a, a long time ago is that you, you, you want to be humble. You want to be humble. And, 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 you know, whenever, you know, you don't, yeah, you want to be humble and you want to better to show off your, your, and, 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 and show off and it's, it's good. It's fun, but man, you know, just be humble and be, you know, take advantage of the good days. Try to remember, them. um, you know, your, your good hunts is something you're always going to remember. Uh, you know, <laughs> we have a saying whenever we fish and me and my wife and the kids and we go out and we don't fish and we don't catch many fish, you know, it's not the, it's not the catch you're going to remember is the mirror is the memories you're going to remember. You know, and there's always going to be something memorable about that fishing trip or about that hunting trip that you're always going to remember. And, uh, you know, like I said, man, just use them for what they made for uh, and, and respect, you know, respect your neighbors. And uh, it's going to be a good season. I think this season is going to be one to remember. And I think that's a great way to end the podcast on Boats and Motors with the great Kyle Broussard, founder, owner of Gator Tail Nation, Gator Tail Boats and Motors, Louisiana, Cajun country. I can't believe that you admitted on national podcasts that you don't make homemade roux. I don't know if you're going to get laughed at by other Cajuns, but there's a chance that you're going to get called out on this, Kyle Broussard. But I do love the transparency and the honesty. (laughs) I'm sure I will, buddy. I'm sure I will. But, hey, it is what it is. (laughs) We learned a lot today about boats, motors, coot, gumbo, roux, um, everything that goes in to this culture and this lifestyle. How unbelievable is the boat ride i love the boat ride i don't even have to be driving the boat operating the boat i just like the boat ride i just like the idea of it the image of it the aura of it the swagger of the boat ride that's what we call it the swagger of the boat ride it just makes you feel different as a duck hunter i just feel different when i get out of it and i know i'm getting ready to throw my blocks out and set up 
see those leaves coming off the trees and man hear it you got me skip you have i love it i love the idea i love it i appreciate kyle i appreciate gator tail nation check them out in the new gear issue i'm looking at a picture right now for all you youtube followers there's the boat right there in the new can you see that is my microphone in the way oh yeah this gear issue is key it's so good skip you and your crew knocked it out of the park again we're excited to be part of the wildfowl family the culture of wildfowl magazine it's been around for so long and like I said, if I go into a duck lodge or a duck camp and I don't see it sitting on the coffee table or the kitchen counter, or the bathroom where Skip does all of his reading, then I'm probably not going to be in a very good mood. So let's try to get wildfowl in all the lodges and camps across the country from the eastern shore to Arkansas, Louisiana to California and the Butte Sink to Washington, the Pacific Northwest. I've ran my gator tail in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, Washington and on the Yellowstone River in Montana. I love duck hunting. I love going everywhere those boats and motors will take me. Thank you, Kyle Broussard. Thank you, Skip Knowles. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast 2021 Giant Gear Issue by Wildfowl Magazine Podcast Series. We'll be back at you with another episode soon, another section soon. Get your copy on newsstands, open your mailbox, cherish it, read it, get ready for the best duck and goose season we've ever had, 2021-22. I'm Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast. Tom Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. See ya! See ya!